Yeah, hello to everyone who's listening to this episode. I am Neil Nagarajan. I am speaking to my good friend, Tom Hughes from New Jersey. What we want to do basically is um, compare the two Clone Wars shows. So, you know, one is, one is, of course, the modern show, you know, the one with seven seasons and the whole Anakin, Ashoka, um, Obi-Wan thing, which I completely love, by the way. Um, the second one is the old Clone Wars show. So 2003 to um, 2005. That is one which I've I've only like seen like a couple episodes of so far, but I did you know get a um a number of first impressions from that show, which you know basically made it seem you know in many ways pretty different from the new um, the the modern Clone Wars show. So I basically have the perspective that you know um, okay, so let me put it this way: for a number of reasons, I do like the modern Clone Wars show more. Um, but then I do have, you know, Tom over here who kind of disagrees, I mean, about some of the opinions I have. So we basically want to talk about it and, you know, break it down as far as possible and, like, hopefully ha- like have a really good conversation. So um, say hello, Tom. Hello, Neil. It's a pleasure to be on Dooku's Den. <laughs> yeah, Dooku's Den. Okay. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you. No problem, uh... I gotta say, when it comes to the O3 series, I gotta I'll admit there's not much dialogue when it comes to there, but there's a lot of action scenes. You don't need that much dialogue. Besides, we have plenty of classic lines in the prequel trilogy say sand. I don't like sand. It gets everywhere. It's all Coralie and Graspy to no, I am so in love with you. We didn't need any more of these classic lines. The O3 series made Star Wars a brief to the greatest prequel, prequel Revenge of the Sith, which was blown away of all previous. But when you get to the new Clone Wars, there are some storylines which are amazing and great you can get a lot of character development but the problem is is there's some pieces that are kind of like an organized mess in some ways take how count dooku was revealed as dark tyrannus and obi-wan didn't know about it you're like how could you not know about it? he's there's only two sifts rule of two for goodness sakes you really need I mean, what was Obi-Wan hit with a rock or something? He should have realized that Count Dooku is Dark Tyrannus. Then again, without getting details, Dark Sidious was always in the mist. But are you are you referring to episode um two though, like Attack of the Clones? Uh no, I'm talking about Star Wars the Clone Wars, season six, episode ten, where Count Dooku is revealed as Dark Tyrannus. And uh, in that episode, he's surrounded by a bunch of aliens. And uh, one of the aliens called out, say, You're surrounded now, Tyrannus. And Obi Wan says, Tyrannus, you're Dark Tyrannus? Like he's just dumbfounded, like he didn't know about it. Like it's, he pretended that episode two didn't happen at all. If you, which a lot of fans were probably going to be grateful about that because how bad episode two was. To me, episode one was terrible, but two, but 
episode two is the episode nobody wants to talk about when it comes to prequel trilogy. So well, that's kind of weird because um, let me put it this way: I, I for some reason don't exactly remember that particular scene where you know Obi Wan says, "Oh, you're Darth Tyrannus." Um, I, I, yeah, I for some reason can't really recall that, but I'm guessing your memory is good there, so let's go with that. Um, but yeah, that, I mean that's weird because they basically knew in Episode Two that Count Dooku is the um, is Darth Tyrannus. Um, I think what they did not know at the time is that he he is the apprentice, right? You know, Sidious is the master. Darth Tyrannus, um, in other words, Count Dooku is the apprentice, right? Because they they took a while to I think figure out that um, you know Dooku is the apprentice and it's actually Sid, Sidious who is the master, right? So, um, but yeah, I mean, what you're telling me, that's definitely weird that, you know, he, he shows surprise in the Clone Wars show when, you know, in episode two, they obviously knew that. Mm-hmm. But I would also say that um, I think you, you basically address my opinion quite directly that, you know, you know, I, I've not like, um, I'm saying this in the episode for the first time, but I've said to Tom before that I thought that, you know, based on what I've seen so far of the old Clone Wars show, I thought that it was too much um, action and, and not enough dialogue, right? So I do, you know, agree that, you know, um, some of the other, um, you know, the prequels and, you know, a number of other things do have a lot of dialogue in them. But I also wanted to say that um, if you look at the whole, you know, in the Clone Wars, what is action? It's basically you know, a lot of, um, clones, blaster fire, um, all your your droids, and then of course you have your duels, you know, between Anakin and Ventress and all that kind of stuff, right? But if you look at the um, clones and the um, droids fighting specifically, and also you know Jedi versus droids because of lightsabers, but if you talk about that specifically, right? That to me is kind of like you know just the same thing over and over. I mean, you can have it on many different planets and in many, you know, different uh, terrains and, you know, different environments. And that, I will say that is really cool. But then I still often find the, you know, the, the whole fighting concept, you know, feel like the same, you know, the same sort of thing repeated in multiple scenes. Would you agree with that? I do agree. On the contrary, though, uh, the problem with Clone Wars is that it, it's not as good as it's about story wise some cases the longer something goes on the work the quality dies down a little bit i gotta say clone wars one through six uh, that was the cartoon network years some of the stories were didn't have a structure on it but when you get to season seven that's when disney took over bought them all out uh, they kind of made Lucas Films look into stru- story structures. You see, season seven is kind of like the perfect season for it because it has a lot of people's hands on it. Because George Lucas, uh, he's sometimes good with stories and sometimes he's not good. Uh and there's some things I couldn't stand about the others about the current Clone Wars, like Anakin and Ahsoka. 
I they think it's a good relationship. It's a brother sister relationship. But when it comes to Jedi masters, it's kind of like a father figure. You're supposed to guide them, not act like their sibling. And Anakin is a brother to Ahsoka. He's not a mentor. He's not a father figure. He cannot be her father figure because they're almost the exact same age. And that's the kind of like the flaw in Obi-Wan and Anakin. They're brothers. And he kind of admits then, what I like about the old, old three Star Wars is that he kind of admits it to Anakin. We are like brothers. And Qui-Gon Jim should have been his mentor in some cases. He even mentions that to Anakin in some cases because he looks... He needs Qui-Gon Jim's guidance to guide him because he's not that strong enough to become a Jedi master some days. And I didn't agree there. I mean, um, yeah, um, okay, go ahead. I think if they redid the prequels, they probably would make. Uh, well, if I had to redo the whole prequels the whole Clone Wars series, I would make Obi-Wan the mentor of Ahsoka because he's more of a father figure than Anakin will ever be because he's Anakin's still too young in my opinion. And well, so that, is, um, that is true in the sense, I know that Anakin was not old enough to be a typical Jedi master, that sort of thing. I mean, everyone knows he just you know wasn't uh, mentally mature, wasn't old enough, but I do also think that, you know, in some ways he was still a great teacher, right, to Ashoka, do you think? Like, you know, for instance, all of the um, fighting skills, the, you know, piloting skills, and also, you know, I think part of the whole, you know, brother-sister relationship, I do think that he, okay, as a, um, maybe Jedi Master, of course, he was not a typical Jedi Master, but then I think as part of the entire um, mentoring process and, you know, Making making Ashoka ready to you know be like a Jedi, um, that sort of thing, right? I do think that he was a great, basically a great older brother in that regard. Um, you know, like in the sense, you know, of course, he he did teach her a number of you know Jedi things. In some ways, he was more a family member than a Jedi master. But I think you know doing that and you know looking at how Ashoka came out in the end, right? Wouldn't you think that he did a great job there? He did a great job it was kind of like dumb block in my opinion because he kind of forced her to go there if it wasn't for that tragic event where they the whole jedi temple turned on ahsoka and he would still be a jedi knight because if you look at the the whole revenge of the sith nobody's in anakin's corner and he's just getting closer and closer to uh, Emperor Palpatine. And nobody, we don't know of Sog's existence till 2015 at least. If he had that connection with Ahsoka then, I think it would be, there would be no Darth Vader in my opinion. And that's kind of like the fatal flaw. I mean, without, I mean, if we didn't have season seven to give a backstory of why Ahsoka wasn't there, you were, she was on a Mandalorian's planet 
you know, helping out retrieve the planet. It wasn't for that backstory. I think a lot of people would wonder why is she there in the first place? And that's kind of like uh, George Lucas accidentally made a plot hole in some cases. Well, I, I do want to say here that um, there are some, I, I think it's kind of just the reality of um, story writing, right? That, you know, if you write a story, you know, for instance, you write the prequels, you write Revenge of the Sith, and they all, um, they arguably do well, I guess you can say that. Um, and if you want to, um, after you've, you know, published these movies, right? If you want to add more to the story, uh, like you, 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 it's just kind of the reality that, you know, you have to make things fit together. And they did, you know, try their best to um, fit Ashoka in to the whole story of, you know, Anakin being in the Clone Wars and then Anakin eventually turning to Darth Vader. Um, I think how, how good a job they did is, of course, something de debatable. But then that's what they tried to do. And I think, you know, that's just, you know, one of the realities of, um, you know, story writing, that if you write a story and then if you want to improve on the story later, right, you've, you've basically got to, you know, add things that do fit in and, you know, so make the story work overall. And I also want to say that I think you, you did, you know, talk about how you don't entirely like the whole Anakin Ashoka thing. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, all that dialogue in the Clone Wars is something you, in the new Clone Wars is something you didn't like. But couldn't you say the same for um, Anakin and Obi-Wan in the first Clone Wars, the 2003? Because... I know there wasn't as much explicit dialogue as such in the first Clone Wars, but then you also, you know, criticize the relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan, you know, saying that it's it really wasn't Master and Apprentice, right? True. I mean, it's kind of like they're talking like they're brothers. I mean, O3, they kind of know the difference. He knows is that he's not the guy who supposed to train he knows he's like a substitute teacher in some cases obi-wan because he knows he can't handle anakin he knows he can't handle anakin and he needs just being the substitute teacher till the teacher gets back the only problem is that the teacher's not coming back from vacation that's the thing and unfortunately anakin kind of doesn't see the foreshadowing in Ahsoka. Even though he does an amazing job with Ahsoka, he kind of fails her at the end because she doesn't become a actual Jedi Knight. She doesn't go through the knighthood. She doesn't go through the steps in order for him to become a Jedi Master. He kind of screws... She kind of screws him over a little bit, and he kind of... In one of the lead scenes there, he kind of worries about if he ever turns on Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan said, that will never happen. But to him, it might happen. Hey, I would kind of disagree there in the sense, I know that Ashoka, you know, couldn't become a great Jedi in the sense she wasn't a Jedi, but I still think that she became a great person to have in the galaxy. Like, you know, with, you know, most, if not all of the, you know, Jedi traits and don't you think that, you know, she ultimately became, you know, a great, you know, character to have, basically? I mean, that's kind of what I was getting at when I basically said that Anakin did a great job with her in the sense, whether you, you call her a Jedi or not, I mean, at the end of the day, that is, for the most part, just a name. But 
I was like, I was referring, you know, just more to her character, like, you know, the entire combination of her skills, her character, you know, her values and that sort of thing, right? Yeah, but the problem is with Ahsoka, what do we call her? What do we call Ahsoka? She's not a Jedi, neither is Sith. We just call her a, uh, a dark Jedi, maybe? Or a, a great Jedi? Or what would be the appropriate thing to call Ahsoka Atana? I, I would just call her a, a Force user. Because not, not all Force users um, were always Jedi. I mean, of course, I know that the whole Star Wars story is, you know, about Jedi and Sith, of course. But then you do also have powerful Force users who are neither in the sense... I'm not saying, you know, like in the middle or great Jedi, Jedi, dark Jedi sort of thing. But for instance, um, you know, the, the Bendu, right? He is a... Um, um, he's basically a, um, a Force creature who, you know, uses both sides of the Force. He... He's never been like trained or anything, you know, like in the Jedi or in the Sith ways in that sense, as far as I know. But we we see him as a force user. And I think you could just you could do the same with Ashoka, where you know, I think, you know, at least for the most part, if not, you know, all she does, you know, use the light side of the force. You know, that's her choice. Partly her training, of course. But I would I would just call her a force user. That's it, yeah. I would call her a great Jedi because she neither is loyal to the Jedi's or neither to the Sith. She, or maybe a dark Jedi at best, but we've never seen her use force slicing, playing the force, but we might get, I don't know if Rebels change that or not. Did she ever shoot lightning out of her hands in any point of Rebels? See, I think she did not so, number one, we haven't seen her do that. Um, number two, she I think she is like unlikely to do that unless it's like a situation where she absolutely must because she's not the type who would, you know, be so bound to, you know, like what she was taught that, you know, she could not, you know, touch anything else in the sense. She would also, you know, act as as the situation demands when, you know, placed in an extreme situation. But I think you could still say that, you know, she was she was rooted in the light. I think you could say that. Um, but yeah, she she does have the potential, I would say, to use the dark side if she um, if she finds the need to, basically. So. OK. Because yeah. when you see Ashoka in in Rebels, right, I would say that she she she's definitely developed the Jedi temperament in the sense if you see how she talks, you know, her calm sense of mind, right? You compare, you know, that child Ashoka in, in Clone Wars to the person we see in sorry, not Rebels, Mandalorian, yeah. Um the Ashoka we see in Mandalorian, right? I think you'd agree that she does, you know, have the Jedi temperament. So I think you could say that she is fundamentally um rooted in the in the light. Like what, what would you say to that? I would say that would be an accurate statement. Uh, but I'm going to say enough of Ahsoka. What about Ventress? What do you think was better, Ofri Ventress or current Ventress? About Ventress, I'm, I'm really not sure. Like, how much do you actually... Um, let me put it this way. I, I know that, you know, she comes from the you know same planet as Darth Maul, and she has that whole you know, backstory of, you know, being a family member of those, like, sisters or whatever they're called. 
Um, beyond that, I, I'm not sure if I know that much about like her as an individual in the sense, I know that she and um, I think she, yeah, she and Darth Maul were kind of competing to become Dooku's apprentice and all that stuff. But beyond that, I'm not really sure if I can um, speak about, um, you know, like her then and her now and like say who was better. So I'll let you speak on that. What do you think? I gotta admit, when it comes, the only thing in 03 and in the current Star Wars, the Clone Wars, is that Darth Sidious was kind of right. She's a failure. She is a failure. She has failed the Sith Lord many times over in 03 and in the present. That's what she is, a failure to them. And then one day, Count Dooku decided to say, you know what, I'm letting her go. I got Grievous, who, let's face it, Grievous hated her ass anyway. She was worthless to them. So then she became this sole lone assassin for, for hire. Uh, she, the only thing to me is that O3 Ventress served her purpose by giving Anakin more into the dark side. The present Ventress is kind of like a waste because she was, to me, I don't think they knew what to do with her. I mean, what was her purpose throughout the entire series besides trying to become a premise? After she got betrayed by uh, Dooku, she should have found something else to do. Uh, fortunately, Maul came into place and kind of took over, but at the end of the day, if her story ends with uh, her finding redemption in one of these, in one of the Star Wars books, uh, that's how she di- currently dies in the whole Star Wars Clone Wars series. But I gotta say, O3 Ventress had more purpose, so I prefer O3 Ventress over current present. Ventress. You know what? You know what, dude? I think I, I think I, I couldn't agree more because I, I was just thinking about it. I mean, you made a great point about how Anakin closer to the dark side, but then, you know, having seen her so much in, um, I believe, yeah, it was either Clone Wars or Rebels, but having seen, having seen her so much over there, right? She kind of, you know, was just like she and Maul were kind of just running around, right? Well, Maul was more interesting because you know the the whole Maul and Obi Wan. Thing. But as far as Ventress goes, right, she, I would say that she, you know, she was just running around in the sense, I didn't find her annoying to watch, but she was this kind of character for whom, you know, you're like, you know, she and Maul are kind of just, you know, running around, just kind of being distracting, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of getting in the way of things, that sort of thing, right? Did you kind of see what I'm saying here? Yeah, I'm, no, you're saying, I mean, Ventress is never her own woman in some cases she needs a master like she is like a symbiote in some cases because darth maul i mean she goes through master for master like she has uh man issues i mean where's the feminist in her 
I mean, if you look at Princess Leia, uh, Paname, and she, Rogue One, uh, Felicity Jones, I forget her name. Who was the girl in Rogue One again? Oh, uh, yeah. Let me think. I know, I know who you're talking about. I'm just trying to remember her name. Uh... Okay. Kira, maybe? No, was that from Solo? Uh... Hmm. Kira? Yes, I agree with Kira. Let's go Kira this time. Kira, Leia, and uh, Padme are feminists. And if they are so adventurous doing what she did, one would probably say, Give me your feminist card, bitch. You're done. Because that is what she is. She is weak will. She's like the Willie in Indiana Jones. I agree there. She was like, un, I think you could say unstable, right? Like, you know, not really kind of like dancing all over the place, not really having a fixed direction, right? You know, like, it's kind of like, you know, her situation is just changing every single day, that sort of thing. So, yeah. What, what, what were you saying? Sorry? Uh, no, go ahead. I mean, I like your point. Uh, but uh, I got to say, what do you prefer in Grievous? Do you uh, say that again. Did you find Grievous a threat in the present Clone Wars? I'd probably say not so much, to be honest. Um, he was, I mean, okay, he was cool. Of course, you know, he can do all his, you know, lightsabers thing. But I wouldn't say that, you know, he was out character from the new Clone Wars. So, yeah. But if, if that's, if he really was, you know, like kind of a standout character, in the old Clone Wars, then I would I would agree with you there that you know Grievous was better in the old Clone Wars and yeah. I mean, I gotta admit, O three Clone Wars. If you look at O three Clone Wars, General Grievous, he is the Mahalahali of Jedi killers. I mean, he the the focus, the stance, the whole he could take on six Jedi at once, walk out there with no scars, and still. Take your lightsaber and make you his trophy. When it comes to present Clone Wars, Grievous, Grievous got captured by Jar Jar Banks. Jar Jar Banks. Are you kidding me? Jar Jar Banks, you are a part of the Sith organization and you get your ass kicked by Jar Jar Banks the whole choke of the fan base prequels are you kidding me you have lost all respect for the entire committee in my opinion because if you get captured by jar jar binks don't even call yourself a syphilar because you are definitely not one of them no i mean general grievous is, is not a sith lord of course but I think uh, I think that you know half of the things they do with Jar Jar Binks are like kind of just to make it funny in the sense, you know, maybe they had plans earlier to you know make Jar Jar an actual Sith Lord or something. But given that they didn't um, go with that, right? I have a feeling that you know the whole Jar Jar thing is you know kind of you know just an attempt to like make it funny, you know, or um, which I think of course most of 
most people did not find it funny. But yeah, I think that's basically, it feels like one of those things to not overanalyze, I guess. So, yeah, but when you want to take a villain seriously, I mean, look at Kylo Ren, for example. I hate to bring up the whole uh, sequel trilogies. I know it's a big no-no, but if you look at Kylo Ren, the first introduction he has with Poe Dameron, Poe Dameron does not take him seriously. He knows who he is. He knows he's a joke compared to all the other Sith Lords. He's, Kylo Ren's a wannabe. He will never be a fully functioning Sith Lord in some cases. Um, Kylo Ren was not like fully trained, though. I mean, he basically decided to destroy the Jedi Temple, like you know, part you know, part of the way through his training, and so he was like, um, he wasn't really well trained with the lightsaber. Obviously, I mean, he Finn managed. To strike Kylo Ren, so yeah. <laughs> well, because if I'm talking about this, I'm going to talk about martial arts terms. Kylo Ren is kind of like almost a black belt. He gets his ass kicked by a white belt Ray in some cases because she never held a lightsaber in her life. She never had training. She discovered her force powers today. That should be a joke. I mean, so far, Grievous and Bran are on the same level when it comes to the Force user. He, no matter, even though he did redeem himself in The Last Jedi, he still needed help from Rey, which is kind of pathetic. I, I do agree there. And I like your you know, analogy of um, martial arts. Um, I'm not a martial artist myself, but I like that analogy there. That, you know, Rey... I mean, look, some people say that it's okay for Ray, you know, to just pick up a lightsaber and, you know, be a good match for Kylo Ren. Um, you know, they, they say that, you know, it's because she has, you know, some form of Palpatine genetics, you know, inside her. But I know she's not directly Palpatine's daughter or granddaughter, but then she is the daughter of, you know, a Palpatine clone, that sort of thing. So, I, I mean, some people say that. I, I kind of see where they're coming from, but... I mean, everyone needs to practice at least a little bit. I mean, no one can just pick it up and, you know, just know everything, right? Yeah, I mean, it's... There is such thing as dumb luck, but when it comes to... I know the quote uh, of a famous movie, the training is nothing. The will is everything. The will to act. And technically, Ray did act, but... You still need some sort of training, and if you look, it's kind of, I got a question. I mean, if you don't have a jump master, what's the point? I mean, it would have made more sense if Ray kind of got hit with something and she kind of lost her memory. That would make a lot more sense. But unfortunately, because this whole sequel trilogy is a clusterfuck, and that nobody decided to talk to somebody else. I mean, damn you, Kathleen Kennedy, for making a huge mess out of our childhood. We should have... They should have a plan. I mean, uh, just like... If you go back to the current Clone Wars again, it kind of felt like Kennedy had a planet because... There were some story structures like Obi Wan becoming a his become a 
an underboss cover thing like of a criminal. Uh, he was trying to be go undercover as a criminal. In some cases, he went to great lengths to disguise himself, become a monster, this criminal. And to me, it kind of went absolutely nowhere with it because I felt like it was kind of like a fun waste of time in some cases. I forget what season it was, but he wanted to go find Cad Bane uh, for a reason, which uh, the only reason you can find him is to become a criminal. But blah, 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 blah. He became a criminal, and the story went nowhere. And there was several other storylines in the Clone Wars I'm not going to follow with, but Disney should have gone involved a long time ago when it came to this. I do remember that scene you're talking about, yeah, and I kind of agree. I've not thought about that scene as much as I probably should have. But, and I, I think they, they probably did have, you know, some purpose there, but it didn't, doesn't really, at least, it at least doesn't, at least doesn't jump out as much. I mean, you kind of have to think about it. But given that this um, episode is like about, you know, the two Clone Wars, right? I do want to, like, you know, ask you after, I want to ask you after having this whole conversation that, you know, Based on what I understand, I think you you didn't like the you know specific dialogue and story used in the new Clone Wars, and that's kind of what you mean by I don't like the dialogue. But then, if the dialogue was you know like more to your liking, basically, like I know I know everyone has their own you know liking and disliking, and that's fine. But if you if you, if it was you know dialogue that you just I guess liked more. Would you be happy with that in the sense, would you like a Clone Wars with lots of dialogue that, you know, that's just, you know, done in a way that makes more sense to you? Or is it that you you fundamentally think that, you know, Clone Wars shows should just be action-based and, you know, should not have too much dialogue in the first place? Like, what would you say to that? There is a sector question. Uh, what came... The problem was that if you look at O3, it's kind of like the answer to the episodes of one and two. Episodes one and two barely had any action in it. I mean, it was mostly a episode one was like a diploma film in some cases. I mean, it was all about politics, all that stuff. You barely get to see a battle. Uh, and that, and at the end, uh, George Lucas kind of couldn't admit that it's kind of like a fantastically edited mess that he loved so much when it came to the ending and refused to admit that any mistakes. Episode 2, it was just a love story in some cases, and we all got so bored. It was barely an action till the end. And George Lucas decided, you know what, I need to get CPR on this thing right away. And then he got Grendel trendy drungle or what's his name in 03 involved samurai jack creator to make his 03 clone wars to introduce new characters but the problem with that is that george lucas had a lot on his plate when it came to uh making episode three he didn't check in with grendy as most he's supposed to and when uh the 03 series came out, he was like, wow. I mean, just look at Grievous, for example. He didn't know what to do with Grievous. He 
should have made Grievous more of a foreshadow Anakin. He should have made uh, Grievous and Anakin meet a hell of a lot sooner in the Clone Wars. I mean, if you look at the present-day Clone Wars and uh, current Clone Wars, it kind of makes sense that Grievous and Anakin don't meet up. But when it comes to present Anakin, present Anakin, present Grievous, they don't meet because of the reason of Episode 3. They have to meet in Episode 3 in person, and that's kind of like the plot point. Uh, but to answer your question, dialogue should have been more uh, Shakespearean, in my opinion, because in Episode 4, it has more of a a Shakespearean tone, I mean, and you kind of feel that most of the entire original trilogy, episode one and two, there's a mismatch of lines which you shake your head at. Episode three has only one bad line, and that's it. One bad line, and that's it. To me, it's that no, I'm so in love with you, and that's the one bad line in that whole film that you shake your head at. So, to answer your question, they needed more good writers who know how to make good dialogue. And we're, so, yeah, more good writers in, uh, I would have been happier with that. Okay, I see that. I do like, um, I do like, you know, in general, agree with that as well. But about the um, Shakespearean thing, I, the thing is, you know, We've obviously, you know, not watched his plays, so I, I don't know how much we really know if, you know, how they would actually look like and, you know, what kind of music they play and that kind of stuff. But I was wondering, you know, how you, um, like, basically express that in perspective, you know, having not actually his plays or, like, unless, you know, you've seen, you know, some, like, YouTube recordings of, you know, how his plays would have actually looked like in the sense, in that case, you would understand that. But... Like, I was wondering if you could help me understand, you know, more what you mean by Shakespearean, basically. Shakespeare, you, if you look at Star Wars, it's kind of like an opera in some cases. And Star Wars is kind of based off of that opera settings. I mean, without any singing, without any dancing, it's kind of like a motion, a space opera in some cases. When it came to Shakespeare, Shakespeare kind of made these great tragedies. In some cases, he made the best tragedies. I mean, that's what kind of Star Wars is. A tragedy in some cases. I mean, forget the whole, you know, whole uh, witty lines, the whole poetic things. When it comes to lines in the whole films, they got to match. I mean, it's kind of like music in some cases. Though. The line has to, the lyrics have to match the next verse of the whole song. Without the next verse of the whole song, it kind of sounds like garbage you can't make out the lyrics at all i mean sure there's some music like 
beat bop and hip hop but if you want a good song you need lyrics that match up to the words you're saying does that make sense i would agree with that yeah i mean i think you know as far as music goes you know you could also just have tunes that are you know like um super strong or you know convey a certain emotion and that's something i i do like a lot and i do um i do you know love all of the tunes that they you know use in um you know star wars i mean i think john williams is amazing mm-hmm. but um i just remember this one thing i uh, this was i think from george lucas i don't know if this is like from one of his um deep fakes or what but i um it, it sounded like a pretty interesting thing that he said his um his prequel series right it was it wasn't meant to be so much about the acting and the dialogue according to him it was meant to be more you know about the you know tunes and he basically said that um it was meant to be a tone poem that sort of thing um i remember now this this is actually you know from you know one of those um you know videos they make where you know they make it look like george lucas but it's actually you know just you know, um i don't know if you ever you know looked up deep fake before but yeah this is basically a, you know a video of like um a made up video of you know him talking and that is you know one of the things he says which i, I don't know if you know that's his actual opinion about the prequels but that is you know something which you know in the video the character says and it sounds it, it sounds like you know something that they would have taken um video would have taken you know from knowing George Lucas's actual perspective like i don't think it's something they would have made up out of nowhere just for the video so i so i think yeah i think you know this i think the prequels yes you're right you know it's a, it's a tragedy i think in some ways you could even call it like a modern day shakespeare sort of thing right mm-hmm. but yeah to me, uh, when it came to Uh, the only thing good about the prequels is that it has great CGI, and that's kind of what George Lucas focused on. Not the stories. He finally decided to aim his gun at the story at when it came to Episode Three, but the problem was that it was already too late. One and two were already in canon form, and uh, he decided to not make. Star Wars legends in the canons like he should have. And the other truth Bob Eager should have made the scripts for 7, 8 and 9 from George Lucas cuz George Lucas made a woman here on his he made a great storyline for 7, 8 and 9 and that the problem is we're going to see him cuz Disney have an old vault lock and key. I mean seriously, look at Bob Igor's autobiography, you'll see that he felt badly for George Lucas cuz when he bought Star Wars this is a uh, Lucas Films art, he bought the scripts for 789 as well, but the problem is that it didn't line up from their agenda. And since the agenda was to have Star Wars going to build dollar films and since 
George Lucas kind of lost all credibility when it came to episode one and two. He kind of lied to Lucas a little bit since, let's face it, Lucas's credibility at the time of uh, 2011 kind of didn't give him credibility because he screwed up the prequels in some cases, except for free in some cases. But because of his low credibility, nobody took him seriously, and uh, nobody believed in his redemption. I'll be honest. I mean, I when I watched the first two movies, right, um, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, I was not that attracted the first time. I, I will be honest there. But after I saw Revenge of the Sith, I was in. I was into the whole story, right? After that, I watched, you know, of course, episode four, episode five, episode six. Um, but, but after that, if you look at the whole package, right, I love the story as a whole. And as part of that, I, you know, gained, um, I gained this appreciation for the prequels that I didn't have, you know, the first time watching around. So now, for instance, if I go and watch Phantom Menace again, right, I, I have a, um, I, I don't you know, a lot of things, you know, could have been better. I mean, so much politics and all that. But, um, you know, seeing Qui-Gon, seeing little Anakin and, you know, all those things, right? It really feels so important. So in that sense, I feel like, um, I mean, of course, the, the main thing over there is Qui-Gon. But I do think that the movie itself, um, even if it was not done too well, is so important to the story. You see what I'm saying? Saying, but the problem is that Lucas should have made three prequel films. He should have began with episode three, in my opinion, because episode three had more story structure and more of a purpose. He should have gone his ducks in a row and made uh, a good story before he decided to go all CGI on it. Uh, I will say though, I think CGI, <laughs> you don't like it too much, but CGI was just, I would say it was just a, a tool he was using to make the movies. I mean, maybe he overused it, but then I wouldn't say that, you know, CGI was his main purpose. I mean, at the end of the day, all these things he used to like, you know, physically make the movie, there are tools that you're using to make the the movie in the sense the the story is always the like backbone, right? Yeah. Well, look at uh, the original Star Wars. In the first movie, everyone knows Han shot first, and then uh, when it came to the remastered version, it's actually great. Oh, then Han shoots his head to the left, and he shoots. First, I mean, the problem is with that is that Han shot first, and everyone knows that. If you're gonna remake something, at least remake minor things. Like if a boom app was in the way, just get rid of it. If not, just re-release the film. Don't remaster it. 
Wait, when you say remaster, do you mean like, you know, make changes to a film after it's already been published? Yes. I, I, let me give you an example here. So you know how at the end of Return of the Jedi, um, for um, when Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Yoda show up as Force Ghosts at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Initially, they use the um, someone else. I forgot who, to be honest. But um, after that, they after the prequels, they decided to you know replace that with Hayden Christensen, which I think, for the purpose of the story, you know, does make sense, right? I mean, you, you want to see Anakin's face in the end, so. Let me like because to me they need to make him a lot older. Not this twenty year old rebel who made a bunch of mistakes during the story of kids. You need a new face to in order to see a change. Okay, there I, I I do like agree and disagree in the sense I think um see I think one thing you should know about you know transcending into the force is that who you look like as a force ghost is you know not just um you know who you were when you ended up when you passed away but then who you um see yourself like how you view yourself or something like that I don't remember the exact details but that's that, that's what I remember you know seeing in one of those. YouTube videos from, I think, Star Wars Theory, by the way, which is a YouTube channel. Um, I think what they could have done is, of course, you know, we, we kind of saw uh, Anakin as he was in, um, when he was like, you know, in his early or late 20s, you know, right before he turned to the dark side. That's the Anakin that we saw at the end of Return of the Jedi, um, the Force Ghost. What they probably could have done is taken that Anakin and try to recreate what he would have looked like if, you know, he, um, you know, got to live to about 45, 46 years old. And, you know, he never um, um, got um, deformed by um, um, catching fire, basically. If, you know, nothing happened to him and, you know, he just grew normally, right? What would he, have, you know, looked at, look like at that age, like 45 or 46? How, how would you like that, though? I think he would have shorter hair. He'd probably have a hairstyle like Obi-Wan Kenobi in episode three. On the contrary, he might have a little bit of a beard. But in the end, he'll be more older, mature, mature person. He might have some grayness hair. But he'd be a heck of a lot older. Yeah, that would have. I would have liked to see um, what that would look like. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else to you want to say though um, um, for this podcast? I gotta say, there are a lot of good valid points when it came to Star Wars or Clone Wars, which you made. I mean, tenly, there were some dialogue pieces. That were great. Uh, I love Commander. Re- I mean, I love Captain Rex. My bad. He didn't get promoted to Commander till season seven. 
Uh, but even no, he was based off of uh, Captain Hunt RC of uh, the original 2003 Trooper. He was still a great leader. You can see a lot of character development in him. Uh, you get also more classic lines from Dark Sidious 2 in uh, 2017. You see the evil, maniacal ways he does and how he tricks young Anakin Skywalker into falling the dark side. So keeps planting ideas in his head. Uh, the in season seven, the final episode is kind of the most beautiful, most touching endings you'll see in the Star Wars series. When Darth Vader picks up Ahsoka's lightsaber, you see. You see. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, you can see the moment that he is sad, heartbroken. Say, the good old days. It's kind of like a nostalgia torn into his heart. And you feel sorry for him at the end as he puts some lightsaber and just moves on. Uh, in, but on the pop. On the contrary side of the O3 side, you'll get to see a lot more action. And there are some good moments you get to see a relationship between Padme and Anakin Skywalker more bloomish. And you get to see them at almost the same age, like they're teenagers, not uh, like there's not a 10 year difference. You don't feel that between them. You feel like they're, uh, what's it called? Uh, more of the same age than, um, and make her feel like she's not a uh, kid. What, whatever she she's called when she falls in love with that kid. Uh, you also see that it leading up to the best prequel movie in Star Wars the entire time. Because it goes right into the battle of Coruscant. And uh, you see that how Grievous got his lungs crushed by Mace Windu and the best uh, lightsaber fighting in the entire animated series you're going to see. That's all I got, Neil. You? Yeah, I think um, even though you have a number of issues with the new Clone Wars, I'm really glad that you're, you know, able to appreciate all these things you just said. Like, you know, of course, that beautiful and very sad ending on and season seven, and also the whole clone thing, right? I mean, if you look at how they did the whole clones, um, you know, of course, Captain um, Captain Rex, um, all those other guys as well. I think the way they um, handled the clones in season seven was unbe unbelievable. You know, the way they handled um, the um, foreshadowing of Order 66 and also the, you know, those, um, also the Bad Batch, you know, I mean, the way that, you know, has that has led to the Bad Batch now, which, by the way, we're about to um, watch in about 15 minutes, we close soon. 
but yeah, I I'm really glad that you know you've identified these things as well. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's really been great. We de- we definitely have a lot more to talk about. We can do more episodes together, but um, I think we should call it for now. We're um about away from one hour, so that's kind of cool. And yeah, this is actually the, the the longest episode that we've actually done so far. Um, all of my previous episodes are you know um between thirty and. 45 or 50 minutes, that sort of thing. But today we're, we're hitting an R. That's a, that's a PR for me. So awesome. Okay. Glad I can break that record for you, Neil. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, dude. Um, all right. I've got to get going now. Um, I have to set up our, um, our watch party for um, Bad Batch. So see you in 15 minutes. Okay. See you in a few minutes, bro. Awesome. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks a lot, Tom. And, um, yeah, a huge thank you to um, everybody who's, um, you know, listened and especially, you know, those who've like come this far. I mean, if you've watched, if you've listened to the entire hour, you are amazing and thank you so much. Um, I will be making more um, in the, I'll be making more episodes as soon as possible. So I hope you subscribe and listen to those as well. If you're um, enjoying the conversations that we're having. And yeah, thank you so much, guys. Mm-hmm.